Hello, and welcome back to the Project 99 podcast. Today is Thursday, January 23rd. Whoa, you put 2022. No, you wrote that. <laughs> Did I write Yeah, I, I just erased your wedness and the, <laughs> the two on the, because it was from yesterday, and I changed it to Thursday. <laughs> And I erased your 22 and turned it to 23. You wrote 2022. Oh, dude. I'm like in my crystal ball or something. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. I put a video of that board on Snapchat, too. Everyone's going to be like, are you, in the, are you in the future? Yeah, so ah. it's 2020. Um, 2020. Not. <laughs> but anyway, um, we got a... A lot of topics to discuss today. I like the beginning of our whiteboard over here. Trust no one. Trust no one. Number one piece of advice. Yeah, that's our. That should be our motto. Yeah. Next to eat the rich, trust no one. Should yeah. Be our motto. Yeah, I found a. I'm, I've added to my motto of eat the rich. It's now eat the rich, arm the poor. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone always thinks because I'm like super. Uh, well, they assume that I'm like super leftist or whatever. They have their own ideas about what I am that I'm like anti-gun. And I'm like, I don't know where any of you got that from because I own a gun and everyone I know owns a gun. So, Well, I mean, it's kind of the top-down rule of the political parties now that they dictate what the platform is and you have to capitulate to every single thing on their agenda. Like you have, no, we don't yeah, do no, that. No, we don't do we that. We don't so. follow the rules. So anyway, yeah, trust no one. Thank you, Fox Mulder, for your words of wisdom. Um, but what do you want to jump into today, Mick? So last week, I wanted to talk about the lies that got us into Iraq, but we got so derailed on Elizabeth Warren's lies about Bernie. <laughs> well, I did. <laughs> Bitch. That, um, and there's some really good videos out there on YouTube of different people from Rolling Stone, um, Matt Taibbi from Rolling Stone, and uh, Jimmy Dore and other people kind of analyzing the, you know, going through like how we know that she, she did all this, but... And when you, when you really break it down, there's there's really no denying it. So hopefully we can just get on past it. But um, now there's a new conspiracy theory out there that the reason that Nancy Pelosi held off the impeachment, um, articles of impeachment going to the Senate was because she wanted to give Joe Biden time alone right before Iowa. So that's a conspiracy theory floating around, which is probable, possible, probable. I mean... We all know that they're pulling for the moderate here, so. I love the uh, videos that have been going around of Bernie Sanders and Tom Steyer at the MLK <laughs> event, where Tom Steyer is, like, so happy to be next to Bernie, like, he's obsessed with him, and I love it. It's just, like, um, it reminds me of the relationship between Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of those two, but... Uh, they're Don't like up me. there it's freezing cold they get their hands in their pocket they're like doing this old man dance and and i saw this one meme of tom steyer like smiling so hard sitting next to bernie and it says get you a man that is happy to be with you as much as tom steyer is happy to be sitting next to bernie sanders <laughs> like it's pretty funny and then you got the people do the funny voiceovers like what do you think that they're saying to each other right now and tom steyer comes up and he's like trying to shake bernie's hand he's like no you're a billionaire i don't want to talk to you yeah yeah <laughs> i don't like billionaires didn't somebody tell you that get away I hate from that me though, like if you watch the whole clip <laughs> he does kind of put his arm up like he's shooing tom right, away right. but then in the next clip he's like tapping him on the shoulder and pointing and laughing at something and it's like they're trying to like make bernie out to be this grumpy no, old mean honestly, guy towards tom like, and it's i like, had to take a break from all me all news for like two days because 
MSNBC had Joy Reid have this body expert, body language expert on to supposedly analyze the interaction between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and completely just destroyed Bernie with absolutely no, listen, I was in security for 13 years. I took the whole Reid interview and interrogation thing, and I'm not saying I'm an expert in body language, but what they do tell you is that everything is contextual. So when you interview a suspect, you got to get a baseline of how nervous they are, like, and then you react to like what specific questions you ask them, how they react as opposed to their general reactions. Like, it's not like X means Y, like a dream book that means if you dream about a snake, it means this. I mean, that's so, that's, I mean, I'm so not saying juvenile. this lady doesn't know her stuff, but she's, she's twisting it around for political reasons. And then the LA Times wrote this completely horrible smear piece against Bernie. This woman who wrote it must be a psychotic man-hater, and she's like, Bernie was trying to touch her, and she pulled her hand back and refused to shake his hand because she didn't want to do what a man was trying to tell. I mean, it's like completely psycho. Yeah, they do this with Melania Trump, too, because I don't know why everybody paints Melania Trump like this damsel in distress. And maybe she is, maybe she isn't. I don't know, but they take these videos of them and the way that she reacts to Trump like being near her and turn it into or how she's like this battered woman. And I'm like, you guys are just speculating all of this. Like maybe he's just gross. Maybe she, maybe, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a lot of things. You don't fucking know anything. Like you're just basing this off of nothing to fit your agenda. Like, I don't, I just, it's just like one of those examples, totally unrelated, but it, I swear it's the same concept. When you see a woman with her kid in the grocery store and the kid is having a meltdown mm -hmm. and the mom picks him up by one of his arms and throws him in the buggy and yells at him to calm down and there, people are like, what a terrible mother. And it's like, okay, yeah, judge that entire person off of that five second interaction you saw. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's the same fucking thing. Like you can't look at one interaction the two people have together and like just know everything about it. That's not how shit works. Right. It's just not how it works. Yeah. So that was all nonsense. But the memes are always well and then hillary clinton for. you know oh no no no, she, no. don't she, even get me started she had to come out with her bullshit bernie bashing book this week she's just got sour grapes because she can't sell herself anymore to, to for like five hundred thousand dollars speeches because she has the, the her only worth was her political connections and people paid her ridiculous sums of money to get into her presence to get her to do things for them and now she doesn't have any power and she can't stand it because she's still enormously rich but i think it's just a power thing for her so dude i had a literal oh i was just i was steaming it was trending on twitter hashtag nobody likes him and it was about her comment about how nobody likes bernie and well, i was just like i like bernie hashtag i like bernie was started trending right after i know she went i saw that him. because yeah. i'm just like just stop. Why is this 2016 all over again? And then you've got all these Elizabeth Warren people who refer to anybody who supports Bernie as a Bernie bro. Oh, and they just want to shit on people. And I'm like, listen, up until Elizabeth Warren pulled this really slimy shit, I didn't have an issue with her. No. And as far as I was concerned, if she got the nomination over Bernie in a fair way, I would have voted for her. But I mean, now most people were kind of skeptical of her true progressivism because she, for a lot of reasons, but like most Bernie people were kind of like going to take her into the fold. Right. And this was like a really bad move for her because she isolated herself from moderates in the Biden camp by being trying to be left of Bernie, which are you Karl Marx? I don't know. If, no, I'm just right. <laughs> but like you can't really be too much more left than Bernie is. And she was kind of like going that way. So she alienated herself from from Biden's voters. And then it's like all of a sudden she just decides to stab Bernie in the back. I don't, I don't, I don't politically understand like why she did that. Yeah, that was a bad move for her. Unless maybe she did it because um, Hillary's involved in some way. I think it was very. I think it's very convenient that in the same week that Elizabeth Warren makes these comments about Bernie, that then you know Hillary Clinton gets up there and is like, "Well, if you stop and think about him. it, if you stop and think about it." 
Kamala Harris was chumming up the Hillary right before she spiraled down and just disintegrated. And now, you know, supposedly Hillary's chumming up with Elizabeth Warren and this bad political shit happens and now Elizabeth Warren is dropping into polls. So maybe, you know, there's been talk that Hillary's going to jump into the race. God forbid like you embarrassed yourself by losing to Trump. Dude, and her, her people. Why would you even try that? Her but, supporters are just as bad as Trump people. Oh, I swear crazy. to God. They're so blind. Yeah. And they're so like, even still, you know, I make jokes and all of this, but I know several people who voted for Trump. And as much as I do not agree for a lot of the reasons that they voted for him, you, you know what I mean? I don't think that at least most of them will admit like, yeah, he's ignorant mm-hmm. or, you know, he's done some corrupt shit. But they still stick to their guns because they're hoping that they he will do something that specifically benefits them. Right. Which I feel like is a selfish way to vote, but that's, an, that's a choice. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it's like, her people just completely deny that she's ever done anything crooked. And that's I'm like, crazy. how? How do you do? You are as blind as, like, the people who believe Trump is, like, next to Jesus. Like, you're, you're just that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the I, I have yet to... The people that his head on to, like, the, the muscular body. Yes! <laughs> Standing on top of tank and shit with bald eagles. I'm like, you people are deranged. Somebody went by with a truck with a flag that had, now this was, Sean saw this somewhere, but there was a truck with a flag and the flag was basically this big muscular Rambo type body with Trump's head on it. Yeah, and I've he's seen like, him. But he's like, you know, I've seen those at the mall and stuff, but I didn't really think people actually bought them. <laughs> he awful. said, and I saw this like going down the road and I'm like, oh my God, like somebody actually it's embarrassing at that point <laughs> it is embarrassing dude so anyway but so, yeah so that was that whole rant i i i i didn't think i could be any more disgusted and by hillary clinton but yet here i am again just here you are showing your face that nobody wants you around except for your crazy supporters who refuse to believe that you're a fucking nutbag i mean i just you know this is one of the benefits of being young and you know f- barring any horrible health issues or if i live my natural born life I will live long enough to watch Trump and Hillary both go in the ground. And it's like, you know what? I, I can, I can, I can live with this, you know? Yeah. I, I Unless can... they're cryogenically frozen and then they'll end up on some Futurama. Yeah, it'll be head. Futurama <laughs> heads. Like, like Nixon's head. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, moving on. Okay. So, oh, and the only thing I'm going to say about the whole um, impeachment trial, because I can't watch it because it's just a rehash. They're basically, the Republicans have refused to put anything in the record that happened during the House um, the whole long drawn out House impeachment hearings because they say that it wasn't produced through the Justice Department, which like, yeah, right, like Bill, Bill Barr's going to do anything against Trump. So anyway, that was their justification for not putting the House um, complete record into the impeachment trial record. So now the Democrats are using their two days of testimony to basically relive that whole thing. So you don't really need to watch it. It's a rehash of everything. They're doing a good job of summarizing it, but um, basically they're trying to convince the Senate that they should have witnesses. And all I can tell you is that Shelley Moore Capito and Joe Manchin's page, uh, Twitter pages are inundated with people from West Virginia saying, we want to see witnesses and evidence. So if they decide to ignore their voters, we'll see what happens there. But I, I can tell you that most people are saying, let's see the evidence. And the Republicans gave a witness swap deal to the Democrats saying, if you let Joe Biden and Hunter Biden testify, we'll let you have any witnesses you want. It was like the worst game of chicken ever. And the Democrats blinked because they're like, oh, no, we, we, we don't want Joe to. Co-. I don't I don't get this. Like, you're going to throw away the opportunity to, to get all of the witnesses you want on Trump. 
to save Biden, who you claim has done nothing wrong, from sitting down and saying, yes, I've done nothing wrong. Like, that makes no sense. But anyway, so that's what we're going to go through today is lies and how to pick up on lies and tell lies and dissect lies. Because there's a lot of lies out there. Okay, so these lies are specifically going to be about the two wars that we were involved in with Iraq and how we were sold those wars based on lies. And I know this is information that has been out there kind of throughout the years. You'll hear people say, well, we were taken into Iraq uh, with lies, uh, but maybe you're younger and you don't know what those lies specifically were. So it's a good recap because since they're trying to take us into a war with Iran, we might want to know how they did it with Iraq twice. Um, So... When you were in school and you were writing about something, the teacher would always tell you to ask what questions? You remember? Ask the right questions? What questions should you try to answer when you're writing about something? Oh, um, sorry, I was reading about the Trump abortion thing. Um, the who, what, where, why, and hows? Yes. Yes. Pretty, pretty close. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? So when someone's telling you a story, a piece of information, you're watching something on the news, you kind of have to step back from it for a second and ask yourself, who is telling you this information? What is their background? Uh, Google them. Find out what their, their conflict of interests are. Because generally, people don't get on television and preach a line unless they're getting something out of it. So The Intercept did a really good piece on the pundits who have been appearing on Fox News um, trying to basically provoke us into a war with Iran. And it turns out that these people are all in the defense industry. They're people that are work for defense contractors that are going to make tons of money if we get into yet another war. So these are the war profiteers. And all it would take is for people watching Fox News and any other person on CNN does it too, Google these people. Find out what their background is. You know, when you read an article in any newspaper, left or right, Google the author. See what other kind of works they write about. Because a lot of times these people are, um, you know, the, go- the, the government has infiltrated a lot of public media. I'm not going to say every, you know, a media outlet is run by the CIA. There's people that, that go that far. But I'm going to say that, you know, I know for a fact from historical records that a lot of times people that work for major news outlets, some of them have been co-opted by the government either to report something from a particular angle or not to or to not report it. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of stories where the public should have known about things, but out of a idea of quote patriotism, the news journalists just you know or the news people just kept it to themselves. Stuff that we as citizens should ha- have a right to know. So you definitely have to ask who's telling you the story. Um, And also, you know, look at their education because a lot of these people get on there and you'll have somebody who is completely not in their field trying to act like they're knowledgeable about something and they have no idea because they might be an expert in X, but they have nothing to do with Y and they're, they're, they're acting like an expert about Y. So just really know who the person is that's telling you the information, um, what their, if they have a profit motive or whatever. So then you move into the what, who, what. So what are they telling you? The basic facts. Um, When someone makes a statement of fact, 
where are they getting that fact from? Because when you hear, when you look in newsprint, you know, uh, generally that when you print something, you will reference where you got that material from. But when you watch somebody on CNN or Fox who's talking about something, they'll a lot of times make all these statements that sound like facts that are supported by evidence or sources, and they're not. So just to bring up, not to go back into the whole Elizabeth Warren thing, but when CNN, uh, when Jimmy Dore dug into this whole story, it was kind of funny because he read the CNN story and what it said was that um, this encounter that Elizabeth Warren had with Bernie Sanders back in 2018, where she alleges that he said a woman couldn't be president, it was just Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders alone in the room when this conversation happened. Now, CNN listed as their sources two people that were not named that Elizabeth Warren talked to about Bernie had allegedly said, and two other people who were, quote, familiar with the meeting. So what does familiar with the meeting mean? It means that somebody said, hey, do you know that Bernie and Elizabeth had a meeting today? That's not a source that backs up anything that she's saying. So when you actually look at what CNN is saying, they're basically saying, well, here's four people. But it's not really corroborated by any of those people because none of them were there. None of them overheard it. It's, it's total crap. It's trying to make a source look like it's backed up by something when it's not. So, and then there's a thing that it's called Occam's Razor. <laughs> and, you know, Duke and I talk about this sometimes when we're talking about life on other planets and whatever theory we're talking about. And, and you can read about it. In a lot of places but basically what it is is that sometimes the simplest answer is the right answer so if you have to go through all these hoops to prove your theory about something chances are that your theory is not right that doesn't mean it can't be but what it's saying is that and it's based on the principle that if you find one fact that negates your claim one simple fact that negates what your theory is you're done so let's say for example you have a theory that all the geese in the world are white well you could go all over the world and trying to find every single goose say well that one's white well that one's white well that could be an endless task right but if you find one goose that's black you're done so it's simpler to look for like kind of exculpatory things that would say, well, this is not correct. That's a simpler route to finding out whether your theory is true or not. So when someone's telling you facts of a, of a circum circumstances and you look at it and you go, well, but you had to do, okay, here's a good example, the Epstein thing. Right off the bat, people are just like, oh, this is, this is messed up. Why does your instinct tell you that? Because, okay, the camera could have malfunctioned. That's a thing that could happen guards could fall asleep well that's a thing that could happen tapes getting destroyed uh, I mean that could, uh, so what I'm saying is if you have to go through all this bullshit to prove that your theory you're starting out with is correct if you have to come up with a magic bullet your theory is bullshit right yeah there's a quote from the show and it's actually about relationships but I think it fits really well with politics too where uh, I think it's from Bojack Horseman actually but the 
the character says, you know, all red flags look like regular flags when you're wearing rose-colored glasses. And I, I swear that's how people look at politics, too, is that they just don't, you know, and I, I hear a lot, I, I mean, a lot of people have brought up the points on why they don't like Bernie, but then most of them, when I go back and fact check, are just not accurate. Right. So, with that, but that worries me because it's like, that means that the propagandizing of his campaign is working. And I hate that. Right. So, what Matt Taibbi was saying about the one uh, commenter who was, who was speaking about Bernie, she says, well, he already has this issue with sexism. And so what Matt Taibbi was trying to give her the benefit of the doubt in saying that when she's making that statement, what she's saying is his campaign has a history of being accused of his being a sexist. Not he has a history of being a sexist, but that's not what she said. What she said, actually said was, well, you know, the reason why people might believe this conversation that Elizabeth Warren is saying is because Bernie's had an issue with sexism in the past. No, he hasn't. Like what you're saying is that his campaign has been repeatedly accused of it. So it creates this false narrative that he has a problem with it. So are you actually listening to facts that have been verified or are you listening to a narrative who's simply been repeated so many times that it's become a thing in itself? Right, right. So yeah, the what is, you have to verify what is being told to you and you have to put the facts together. And, say, and this all sounds very simple, right? It sounds very common sense what I'm saying right now. But when you have a personal bias and someone tells you a story that you like, that sounds good, you tend to want to just believe it because it's what you want to hear. And that's what all of us are being sucked into on the left and the right. We're being told bedtime stories about politics that we really like to vilify the other side but listen there's a lot of dirty people in politics you can't just assume they're all on the other side you gotta look at what you're what was being presented to you right which speaking of dirty people in politics you know the iraq war <laughs> yes <laughs> which is our next uh, topic here um Examining well, the, timing, the, the next thing was when, so that when the time, when the information comes out is also important. What does the timing reveal about the person that's telling you that? Right, exactly. So that's important. And then, um, I mean, when you go back and I read, mean, all this stuff is very, very relevant when you're looking at all of our issues in the Middle East, because so much of it has been fed to us in a way to get support from our people. Um, but when you try to look at it from an outside point of view and from other countries' points of view that aren't involved and don't have a bias and you start to analyze, like, well, why do they have this opinion? And you pick apart, you know, well, why did they pump this up on the news this time? And why did they say it this way? You start you start to see that this was all spoon-fed to us for private interests. Right. So I mean, and from when the it very comes start. to the war in Iraq, why, you know, the when is very important because after 9-11 – people were really just traumatized in our country over the fact that we were attacked like that, that all of our defenses failed, all of our security failed, and we were attacked, okay? So when Bush starts talking about going in after Saddam, the rest of the world was still feeling a lot of sympathy for us because of what we had been through as a nation. It was the prime time for Bush to sell us on that war. We were primed for it. So the when is also very important. 
you know, like they said about why did Elizabeth Warren come up with a story now? If this meeting happened in 2018, why now? A week before the, you know, right before the Iowa caucuses, why did this story come out now? So you do have to question the timing of it. That will tell you a lot about the motive of the person who's telling the story. And then the last thing I want to say was the how, how it's released. Was this released through a freedom of information? Something that was released against the will of the person that you're trying to find out? Was it subpoenaed court documents that the person had to produce? Or is it something they're giving to you? Because if they're giving it to you, it probably is to their favor. And if you're having to force it out of them, it's probably something that, you know, doesn't work so well for <laughs> for their argument. Um, so the first war that we were in with Iraq was uh, in 1991 and that war was between Iraq and Kuwait and you weren't even born yet Jude mm -hmm. um, I was actually gonna have your about to have your brother when this war got started and it was a dispute between Iraq and Kuwait and which I think actually started in the in 1990 1990 is correct. when they evaded the annexes in Kuwait right so according to whoever you want to believe Kuwait says Iraq was just being adventurous and trying to basically overthrow their country and Iraq was claiming that uh, Kuwait was slant drilling into oil fields that were underneath of Iraq and it was their oil so that's what the two sides were disputing. But Saddam actually did invade Kuwait. And from a Westerner's point of view, it's kind of like, well, <laughs> that's their business over there, right? What does the United States have any business getting involved in a war between two oil-rich countries? What, what business is it of ours? We don't have any invested interest there. Let them fight it out. Good luck to y'all, okay? When you start sending American troops over there to possibly die for war, politically, that doesn't sell very well because if, if we don't have an investment in it personally, our people don't want to go. And if, I can tell you, as soon as the body bags start coming back, the support for the war and who got us into it, it's going to plummet and people's heads are going to be on a stake back here at home. So Bush was kind of in a conundrum because he wanted to get into this war. Um, I believe for oil, control of the oil. Um, so how was he going to sell this to the American people? Well, there was testimony given for Congress, and I actually have heard some people say, "Well, why was why was Bush trying to get Congress to agree to let him go to war? Like, what was why didn't he just do it on his own?" Well, because there is this little thing called the Constitution that actually says that the power to declare war rests with Congress and the president is supposed to convince Congress that a war is a good idea before you know just going ahead and doing it on your own we've kind of abandoned that now um presidents yeah it's called the uh, war powers resolutions Act. right resolution yeah or war powers resolution right so Congress is supposed to have the, the ability to declare war but what presidents have done is just done these little military actions yeah they don't call it an they don't act call of it a war. war that's all they do they just it's such an attorney move you know to right. just reword what it actually is semantics um, to get away with it yeah mm -hmm. it's it's absolute bullshit and the fact that we let them get away with it i mean we are supposed to be a country that elects a president and we're in charge of what happens not they just 
get to get us into wars. You know what I mean? We have a system for a reason. It's right. supposed to check their powers. So the fact that the American people let this go time and time and time again is very disappointing. So to sell this to the American public, uh, a girl who was 15 years old was brought before Congress to give testimony about the human rights abuses and atrocities that Iraq was committing in Kuwait after the invasion. Um, and you can find this video online on YouTube. Um, just type in incubator baby Iraq and it'll come up because this girl's story was that she went to a hospital to volunteer um, after Kuwait was invaded by the Iraqis. And while she was in this nursery, the Iraqi soldiers came in there and took the babies out of the incubators and laid them on the cold, hard floor to die. And like when I heard this story, I was like, well, what do they need the incubators for? Were they making chemical weapons? <laughs> I mean, what, did, making did, chemical weapons in the they, same room as the babies? Did they need the incubators? Like that kind of was weird to me. Like what was the you know, what was the reason for the taking of this, specifically taking the incubators? Well, yeah, her name was Nayira. Yeah. Um, they call it the Nayira testimony. And um, the quick summed up thing here says that it was a false testimony given before Congress Human Rights Caucus on October 10th, 1990 by a 15-year-old girl who provided only her first name. Supposedly because of security reasons, protection for her life. But they have pictures of her on so right. the screen. And as it turned out, she was the daughter of Saud al-Sabah, who was the Kuwaiti ambassador to the United States. And she was coached in her testimony by a public relations firm, Hill and Knowlton. Um, and the Kuwaiti government paid all kind of money for her to be coached in the giving of this testimony now human rights uh, amnesty international um, and human rights watch a couple different organizations originally found her testimony believable and um, more or less gave it like a stamp of approval but then they went in there afterwards and tried to corroborate her story they talked to all kind of people all over the country in kuwait and could not corroborate this girl's story. So basically it was blown out of the water as being total propaganda to get the United States to support Kuwait. So that was pretty much the one big lie that was told to get us into the Gulf War. That they got caught in. But not at till after the war. Right, yeah. Yeah, after yeah. they got the chance to go in. Now, the ABC did do a report and said that they had reporters over there, and they said that patients did die, including some babies, because uh, 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 sorry, Kuwaitis, when the Iraqis invaded, Kuwaitis and doctor, uh, nurses and doctors did flee. They just left. People left. So, I mean, was Iraq responsible for people dying because they invaded a country and they shouldn't have it? Yeah, I'm not saying the Iraqis were innocent. What I'm saying is her story was a complete fabrication of, of these horrific human rights, specifically murdering babies. And this is a thing that has been manipulated and used in the media because it's such a powerful, horrifying thing when you think of children being the victims of war. It's interesting that it's only mentioned when 
we want to go into a war. Like, oh, we got to go save these innocent children from this horrible person. But if there's an atrocity going on somewhere that we don't need to invade. Or that we caused. We, or that we caused. We don't talk about that. So. Now the second uh, Iraq war. There was a lot of lying going on in this war. So prior to us being involved in, in the, this was before 9-11. There were weapons inspectors that were in Iraq trying to find to make sure that Saddam didn't have any weapons. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the first weapons inspection from several different sources that I've read happened right after um, they invaded Kuwait. Correct, because in the Iran-Iraq war, which we were on the side of Iraq. Right. Okay, and that was going on through the 80s. So Saddam had used chemical weapons in that war. So, like I said, it's not so like... we knew so, that they had them. <laughs> we knew that they had them. Right. And at the time that we were supporting them, when we were their ally, they had used them, and we were fine with it. Right, yeah, there there was mention of that. Um, I don't remember what episode we were talking about it, but the that the U.S. was had said that they weren't okay with it, but they virtually did nothing about it. Right, yeah. Because they were on our side, so. Yeah. And we were like, well, you know, it's between two countries. It doesn't, you know, whatever. But, but yeah, but we were, like, supporting Iraq. So don't you think we should have had something to say about the fact that they were gassing people with mustard gas? Like, so, um, but now, fast forward ahead to now where we're going to go. And, and I think... You're right because what what was happening was when we went to when we went into Kuwait to drive the Iraqis out, mm-hmm. our soldiers were convinced that they were going to be met with chemical weapons, and that was a big thing because I remember you know they were talking about the draft just like this time like talking about the draft and they're and your dad was of age where he would have been prime draft material, and you know so we were talking about like are you going to end up you know, in this war, and um. You know, they were talking about Saddam using gas against our soldiers. Like, that was a big fear that he w- that he had this gas. Well, he never used any. But then, you're right, they were going in after that and looking for these this gas because they're like, all right, well, we got to make sure they don't have it in case whatever happens again. So there were weapons inspectors in Iraq for years looking to make sure that all of these weapons um, had been destroyed. And according to the uh, IEA and the, all the all the groups that were in there inspecting, um, they didn't find anything. They searched, you know, thousands of places and never came up with anything. Now there were people who had worked on the weapons there who said Saddam was interested in developing chemical weapons. However, the storage and maintenance of having those weapons in big bunkers, barrels and barrels of these VX gas, nerve gas and all this stuff. It was difficult to keep it potent for a period of time. And also when you're in an area that is subject to, you know, terrorists invading the country, because let's not forget, Saddam had to worry always about the Iranians trying to infiltrate his country. Right. He was fighting with the Kurds. So you don't want to be, you know, keeping like, chemical weapons around where they might fall into the wrong hands even if you're an evil dictator you don't want your weapon weapons you know to yeah because the then hands. you have to take the risk of 
if they find it, they'll, they will use, use it, it against, against us. you. Right. Yeah. So according to people who had worked in Saddam, inside Saddam's regime and people who'd been inspectors and all the intelligence that was at the time was it, they didn't have the weapons. They were trying to develop knowledge to how to make the weapons. My guess is probably the shit that they had might have came from us. Who knows where they got it from. But in any event, um, so the, the weapons of mass destruction was the big deal for Bush 2, Bush Jr. And he would go on TV all the time and talk about mushroom clouds. We don't want to wait until there's mushroom clouds. Well, we all know that he's trying to make that sound like a nuclear capability with a ballistic missile that could reach the United States, which if you think about how what we're dealing with with North Korea now, here we are all these years later, and North Korea, who has nuclear ambitions, doesn't have a missile that can reach the United States. So, I mean, think back how many years we're talking about here. The idea that Saddam had a missile that could be a threat to the United States is kind of ridiculous on its surface. But that's what Bush was out there drumming is, you know, oh, we got to be worried about weapons of mass destruction. And the reason they didn't just say chemical weapons, biological weapons, is because that implies that it's local. It's something that he's going to use locally. So saying weapons of mass destruction makes it sound scary, and it also makes it seem like something that could reach us over here, like a nuke. Um, then the other thing that he tried to do was he tried to and Dick Cheney was more guilty of this than Bush was but they tried to draw this nexus between Osama bin Laden and Saddam because miraculously right after 9-11 we immediately figured out who did it <laughs> which always amazes me yeah through all the wreckage they can't find any bit that proves it's a plane but they can find passports I mean, I know. funny, yeah. you know, that's a whole, that's what we're going to do into next week is 9-11 was an inside job is going to be our next discussion. But, um, yeah, so they immediately figured out, oh, we know who did this. Let's go into Afghanistan, whatever. Um, but with Iraq, it was like, well, you know, the world feels bad for us because we were attacked by these terrorists. But it wasn't Saddam. But we want to really want to go into Iraq. So how do we draw this connection? And basically, there was intelligence experts told the Bush administration that there were a few meetings between some people in Iraq and some people that were part of Osama bin Laden's team. But they were like so sketchy that pretty much you could look at any group anywhere in the world and find that same number of connections. Well, and the big connection, too, right, was um, that they claimed that the 9-11 attacks, even though they were uh, mostly Saudi Arabian people, that the Saudi Arabians who were involved in the attacks were training in Iraq? Um, no, in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. Okay, okay. Yeah, Iraq was pretty much not on the even on the table in, beginning, in the beginning. Um. But, like I said, they were, they were right before all that happened, before 9-11 happened, it was like there was all this stuff in Iraq, and we kept saying, well, the weapons inspectors are being fooled, 
and Saddam's moving his stuff around. See, we were like butt chomping at the bit to go into Iraq before 9-11 happened, but we didn't have any justification. And we were trying to create it. Like Bill Clinton actually told the weapons inspectors to leave and then said that Saddam kicked them out. Now, were these <laughs> um, U.S. weapon inspectors or were these... Uh, international. U.N.? They were, in, they were international weapons inspectors, but there was an agreement between the United States and the Iraqi government of how the inspections would take place. Okay, so they... Well, because I, I asked because when I'm reading, I found that um, the UN has their own. It's called the UN MOVIC. Yes, they Monitoring were there. Verification mm -hmm. Inspection Commission or, you know, whatever. And then there was the IEA, which I think is the International Atomic Energy But the, the UN's, I mean, came right out and said that they found nothing. Right. So you had the UN's inspector saying they found nothing, and then the IAEA... Um, saying that they hadn't found anything. And so we were really frustrated because we wanted so bad to go in there. But like everybody else was saying, listen, we're there crawling up Saddam's butt. We can't find anything. Uh, you know, give us some more places to look and we'll go look in them. But we really don't see any reason to allow the United States to come in here. So there was like super heightened tension of us wanting to go in there. And Bill Clinton, like I said, there was an agreement between the United States and the government of Iraq that they could inspect anywhere they wanted to. Um, but what happened was the CIA, Saddam knew the CIA wanted to assassinate him, or he believed the CIA wanted to assassinate him. So when they wanted to go into the presidential palace and actually like inspect there, he was afraid that they were just going to get in there and assassinate him. So they had made an agreement that if they were going to do any kind of inspections like that, there was only allowed to be four people who would come in and look around and they had to be, there was, it was like a negotiation that had a deal that had been negotiated, right? Well, when they went to go into the presidential palace, um, they had a bunch of people and there were people that were not approved for that type of an inspection. And Saddam was like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. This is not what we agreed to. And Clinton President Bill Clinton told the inspectors, get out. He's refusing to cooperate. But he wasn't refusing to cooperate. Clinton was actually breaking the agreement that they had made about inspection of areas that were considered sensitive governmental areas. So like, we're not going to let your spies come in here inside of our, you know what I mean? Right. So that was all pre prearranged and agreed upon. And then we tried to break the agreement. And when they said no, Clinton tried to pull them out. So anyways, there was all of this hostility, but at that point in time, if we would have tried to go into Iraq, the whole rest of the world would have been like, this is bullshit. The U.S. is just trying to get in there to get the oil. Like everybody would have known. Yeah. Which, you know what I'm saying? It kind of makes me laugh too, because the other podcast that I do is like such a nightmare of drunken partying and it's just like a lot of fun or whatever. But half of the stuff I say on there, like I wake up when I'm sober and I'm like, oh God, I would, wish I wouldn't have said that. But it's so funny that whenever that happens to me, I'm like... Well, you know, it could be worse. I could be, you know, Donald Rumsfeld when he got on ABC and was like, we know where they are. Like <laughs> talking about weapons of mass destruction. I'm like, yeah, there's been worse things. It's fine. <laughs> because right. he did. Right. He got on TV and said, we know where they are. Right. And then later he came out. Um, let me look it up. I think. Are you uh, talking about Rumsfeld? Are you talking about? Um... No. Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld. Okay. Went on TV and said, we know where they are. And then years and years later. Um, came out and said that he regretted saying that. Right, because Colin Powell went to the UN with these supposed pictures 
of the trucks that were shuttling because they could every time they would go say we think they're there and the inspectors would go they'd be like there's nothing there so they were trying to convince the world that saddam was pulling magic rabbits out of hats and the shit was like disappearing right before their very eyes when there really wasn't anything there so they came up with this idea of the mobile weapons labs and they didn't come up with it out of nowhere okay there was a guy there's always a guy <laughs> and this guy was called curveball and this guy did a couple of interviews after we had already engaged in a war in Iraq to come out and say he was the anonymous source that that told basically the United States government through a couple different so-and-so told so-and-so told so-and-so about these mobile weapons labs. And there was an article in the New York Times, uh, several written by um, a lady by the name of Judith Miller who took a lot of pretty much a huge amount of the brunt for the lies that led us into Iraq because she purported these stories of the mobile weapons labs. Well, the guy that got all this started came out later and said, yeah, I lied. Yeah, who knew a liar and some hearsay could cause a whole war? Right. So... This guy named Curveball did an interview on 60 Minutes. He actually, what I found was interesting when I was researching him was that he also did an interview on German television, spoke perfect German, and then he did an interview on 60 Minutes, and his English was pretty damn good too. And he's supposedly an Iraqi, and I'm like, it's kind of an interesting guy that he like knows all these languages. You mm. know what I'm saying? Like, I know the rest of the world is a little bit more multilingual than we are. But I don't know. I just found that a little bit weird. But anyways, there's a lot of things about his story that I find really yeah, weird. Yeah, uh, first of all, like, why? Why'd you do it? I mean. So he claims that he wanted Saddam out because Saddam was a bad guy. But who is this guy? Like, what's his interest? Okay, so I'm going to get into that because my personal th feeling when I tell you the end of the story, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I think he was a CIA plant. Right. Okay. I can see that. So he was interviewed on 60 Minutes speaking to Bob Simon, and you can find that on YouTube. Um, so his story is that he defected from Iraq. He was supposedly a chemical weapons uh, engineer. So he defects from Iraq, and he goes to Europe to try to tell somebody about Saddam's chemical weapons and how terrible Saddam is and someone needs to do something about Saddam. This is his story that Saddam was terrible so he made this lie up to get the European powers to come in and overthrow Saddam, right? So after he defects from, and this is according to his own story and you'll have to look his name up because I, I can't I'm looking for it right now. So yeah, his code name was Curveball. Curveball but... is what everybody knows him by, but he has obviously has an Arab, an Arabic name. Um, but according to Curveball, he defects from Iraq and he travels all over the place trying to tell this made-up story about Saddam's weapons of mass destruction. He tells 60 Minutes that he goes to Jordan, Morocco, Belgium, Spain back to Morocco, and finally ends up in Germany where he's trying to get smuggled into England because he believes that, and all these other places he went to, apparently nobody bought his story. So he thinks if he can get to England, 
he can get the British government to bite on this information about Saddam and get the British to then get a hold of the Americans to overthrow Saddam, okay? Now stop and think about this for a second. This guy, we just went to war with Saddam in 1991. Right. So... Don't you think if you were trying to find somebody to sell your shitty story to to get the, them to overthrow Saddam, gee, let me think. Who should I tell the story to? Um, maybe the United States, who obviously wanted to overthrow Saddam for like decades. But instead, he goes and tells the story in all these different countries to whoever he can get a hold of, trying to get them to pass the information off to the U.S. So the guy's name was Rafid Ahmed Alwan Aljanabi. Which explains why I couldn't remember it. Codename Curveball. Right. So he claims that when he was in Germany and he was trying to get smuggled into Britain, he got caught without a passport. Now, common sense tells you... Criminals lie when they want out of something. Well, my first question is, you and I have been to Europe. Right. How many times did he ask for your passport? Every time you get on a train? Oh, every yeah. time you get Okay. Yep. So he went from, this is his words, Jordan to Libya, to Morocco, to Belgium, to Spain, back to Morocco. And then only in Germany was he busted for not having a passport. Right, which I know, like, when you talk about people coming across the border without any identification, it's kind of easier to do in our country to Mexico or Canada because it's all, like, landlocked. But, like, when you're talking about prancing around Europe, you know what I mean? Some of these places, uh, nah, you ain't getting there. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just cross the border. Like, you have to take a mode of transportation there. Yeah, so, and I mean, even There's got to be a port that you you're and going I were through. sitting at a, well, no, I think it was my first trip to Italy. Your dad and I were sitting in a little cafe, and these Italian police come up and just start talking to these guys, and next thing you know, like, they're having to produce their papers. Like, they don't have what we have here where you have to have justification. You just, the police can just come up and ask you to see your passport, period. Right. And they are not shy about doing that. So the fact that this guy went to all these different countries and couldn't get, and not only that, but there's a U.S. embassy in every one of these countries. Yeah, so any common sense would have told him to just go there. Why didn't you just go to the U.S. embassy like, and tell his story to a country who obviously is looking for any excuse to overthrow Saddam? So that's all bullshit. So then um, he tells his story to the German intelligence people. The German intelligence people contact the United States, but they keep curveball there and they put him up in this apartment and they kind of keep him secluded. <clears throat> so the United States gets all this information. The Germans pass off these drawings that curveball supposedly made of these mobile weapons labs, whatever. So, Colin Powell goes to the UN with a story of these mobile weapons labs. Accompanying his story. Right. And he, he went to the UN with this speech based solely on this guy's this story. On hearsay. Because he the United States government never interviewed this guy. I mean, this this is just They never interviewed it's him. the it's the definition of like I don't I don't even know. Just complete complete lack of any kind of uh system right any kind of vetting any kind of uh, any kind of reliability i don't know how anybody trusts our government after this has come out 
that there were no weapons of mass destruction. Why anyone trusts any part of the government just absolutely shocks me. Well, the funny thing is nobody trusted us before this happened. So there were people at the UN with like squinting through their eyes when Colin Powell, Powell was talking like, you're so full of shit right now. Like that's what pretty much everybody at the UN was thinking. And this is what gets me too is that these people still to this day, I mean, what what crimes have they had to pay for? Well, and that's the next thing I was going to say. I mean, this say. guy lied, then Colin Powell took that, and any person in their right mind knowing what the implications of that kind of weighted speech was, you know what I mean? How has he never had to pay for this? Well, We okay. trusted him as a rep, someone to represent our country and to protect us, and you took lies from a stranger, hearsay, and started a war over it, and yet none of them have ever been prosecuted no, for that. absolutely not, because we don't. Hold it's a our, failure. We don't hold our politicians accountable because they still tell the story to this day that when they went to war in Iraq, they had faulty information, but they they believed it at the time. Okay, well, if you make a decision based on bad intelligence, a bad decision, it's still a bad decision. Right. That's like me walking down the street, pulling out a gun and shooting a guy in the face. And I'm just like, oh, well, I thought he was going to kidnap me. So I should be let go for this. Right. That's ridiculous. Yes. I mean, at least in at least in a person-to-person crime, there's like negligent homicide or there's like second-degree murder. But I guess when you start a war, it causes the death of like millions of people. You know, it's like we said about the Hawaii thing. I guess the only difference is the, how big the crime is. The crime's just too big to even t- t- to call Bush a murderer because the crime is just that big. So... The reason I say that I believe this guy was a CIA asset is because his story sounds like total bullshit just on the surface. The what of what he's telling you doesn't even make any sense. The timing of when he's telling you the story is perfect, right? So who's telling you this is, is we don't even know who this guy Unreliable. is. He's Mr. Shadow Man. He came out of the shadows for this interview with 60 Minutes and Bob Simon... The Iraqi act, deep throat. Yeah. He asks him at the end, well, tell us the whole truth. And he kind of like looks down. And he's nervous the whole interview, but he kind of looks down. And he's like, no, I'm not the one. I'm not the one to tell the truth. I, I can't tell you the truth. And then he like stands up like we're done. And he goes to walk out of the interview. And Bob Simon's like, well, just calm down a second. Calm down. Come to have a cigarette. You know? I mean, you're here now. He's like, well he doesn't want to talk anymore because Bob Simon says, tell us the whole truth. So he freaks out because he thinks Bob Simon knows about to blow the shit out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. So then he's like, no, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. We just, you know, like you're here now, like just tell us the whole, and he says no, and he just, he disappears in the shadows and we've never seen the guy again. And my thing is this man's lie cost a million Iraqi lives. Like why is he walking around free? Because he is a CIA asset. The story makes no sense. And the reason why we had to have him go to all these different countries and try to sell his story and make up this whole nonsense was because the CIA has been busted so many times with these false coups that they wanted Curveball to look like he was an organic defector defector coming out against Saddam that we had nothing to do with. Right. Which is just bullshit. So they send him like backpacking it's... across Europe with, oh, and then the interviewer asked him, that's an awful lot of traveling. Where did you, 
how did you get the money? Where yeah, did where's you get your money? Where's your, yeah. He says, uh, my neighbor in Iraq gave me money. Oh, is your neighbor's initial CIA? Because, because that sounds like a whole load of horse shit. Your neighbor gave you money to travel around trying to sell your store. I mean, that's, that's a ridiculous story. That's a totally ridiculous, that's such a ridiculous story that I think the CIA came up with that and, and they're laughing their asses off going, let's see if people believe this bullshit. Let's no, put honestly, this guy on 60 Minutes and that's see if laughable. the American people are this stupid that they'll believe this bullshit story. That's how laughable this shit is, which is why, again, when, um, and not that I'm a Trump fan, but when people try to compare the Trump presidency to uh, George W. Bush's presidency, I'm just like, they're... Trump is a corrupt man, but he doesn't even hold a candle to the shit that went on under the Bush administration. He just doesn't. No. I mean, he's just not that evil. It's he like that isn't. movie where he's like, but did you die? <laughs> That's what we have to say about Trump. Where people are like, he's the most dangerous president we ever, but did you die? <laughs> I don't know. It just blows my mind. I mean, it just blows my mind how anyone could be like, he's the worst president in United States history. And I'm like. Okay, I mean, I agree the guy's a fucking idiot and he's made our country into a laughing stock, but really nothing that he's done so far is irreversible, the, I think. Yeah, the biggest danger that we face from Trump is that he's completely destroying democracy as we know it, but by breaking down the balance of powers, he doesn't believe he wants to be a, he wants to turn America into a dictatorship. He hates the balance of powers, he hates any check on his authority. He wants to just completely make everything just comes from him. He he just wants to rule like a dictator and Congress and the Senate has rolled over and let him do it. So now the next president that comes along is going to, every president he we has have, set a dangerous precedent. I will say that for what he's been willing to push for and what they've let him get away let with. Him get away with yeah. That is dangerous. I will, I will agree with that, but I just, I still just can't, I but he can't hasn't caused, he hasn't caused the destruction of life. And, uh, and you know, the thing with him sending our soldiers over to Saudi Arabia and the comment that he made, I think a week ago about, well, if Saudi Arabia wants more of our soldiers, they can pay for them. They've got money. Let them pay for it. So he's basically saying, um, we're going to rent our soldiers out now and let them, let them die for anybody who's got the money. And that's a pretty sad statement for yeah, the United States to up. degrade. Hired mercenaries is what To the become. point where our military has become hired mercenaries for profit. Like, we, we kind of know that they are for the corporations, but now we're going another step further and saying we it's not even necessarily got to be for a corporation that we support. Hell, we'll just rent our soldiers out to die for anybody who's got a dime. I mean, that's, that's a pretty pathetic statement. So, um... And then I wanted to see where this curveball guy is now. Well, that interview uh, was that was a long time ago. I mean, it says um, that he was a German citizen that defected from Iraq in '99. Um, but it just—I mean—it's got all this information that we've talked about, but then really nothing on after that interview on 60 Minutes. There's really not a lot of information about like where I mean where he is now. I think well, what, did the guy just disappear? We just let him go? He told all these lies and caused a war and we didn't do anything to that's him? That's exactly so, what I said. I mean, where is... That's just more evidence that he was he was a CIA asset. Right. I mean... Because you don't now. just get away with that shit. Like, it's just ridiculous. So, and then I did want to just touch on this real quick because um, a lot of people know about um, Saddam, you know, using the chemical weapons against the people of Halabja. That happened in 1983. Um, and like I said, that's when he was, he was, you know, 
one of our uh, buddies. So this says, uh, this is from a timeline of the Halabja attacks, and it says, for its part, the U.S. has long denied its role in the chemical attacks on Halabja, often saying that its ally never announced it would use chemical weapons. But now the classified intelligence shows that members of the Reagan administration knew Iraqis had used mustard gas and sarin in four prior major offenses against Iran, all of which relied on satellite imagery, maps, and other intelligence provided to Iraq by the U.S. As Air Force Colonel Rick Francona, who was a military attache in Baghdad during the 1988 strikes, told Foreign Policy, which is a magazine, I guess, the Iraqis never told us that they intended to use nerve gas, adding, they didn't have to. We already knew. So for the United States to say, well, you know, uh, Saddam, he was unpredictable. We supported him against Iran, but we didn't really know that he was terrible. That's bullshit because they did know he was terrible. They did know he was using gas on people and they just looked the other way. So if you're a person who, if, you're, if your government is the type of government that can look the other way when you know that your, quote, ally is murdering people with gas, what does that say about you, you know? And that's the kind of thing that has caused the United States to become uh, tangled up in the Middle East the way that it is because we have had a policy for, like, decades of going to whatever horrible person in the Middle East we think is the least dangerous and we chummy up to them to defeat somebody that we think is a bigger evil and then as soon as that person is defeated we turn on the person we were supporting like we did Saddam because now we're going to go after some other entity you know it's just like we keep shifting sides in this whole like the Mujahideen, like at one point we're friends with them, at one point they're terrorists, we go back and forth. In fact, um, there's a podcast called The Dark Secret Place, um, and the, the guy who does the podcast name is Brian Suits, and apparently he was involved in a lot of military things over in the Middle East, and he's pretty, he's very knowledgeable about the terrain over there, the different groups and whatnot, so I try to get some information from him. And on his most recent podcast about Soleimani, he said that Sole we were working with Soleimani right up until like a few weeks before we turned him into, incinerated him on the tarmac, um, that he was giving us intelligence about where ISIS targets were because he was a very active um, combatant against ISIS. So he was kind of like our ally because, you know, he was killing people that we also wanted to kill. But the problem is when you align yourself with people that are just like terrible people <laughs> for your own gain, then you have to deal with that later. It's like the United States has lost all moral compass. We're not, we don't try, we don't care for good anymore. We're just like, hey, let's just get with the dirtiest gangster and then kill this gangster and then we'll get with that gangster and kill this gangster. It's just crazy. And I think that we have to reverse that policy. First of all, we need to get out of the regime change or business and we need to start looking at like why are we friends with Saudi Arabia and like I said we're going into that next week with the 9-11 connections to Saudi Arabia 
Um, and when you look at the Saudi government, it's just, I mean, the way that, the way that all of our presidents have, have just kissed ass to the Saudis is just disgusting. So, so I looked up about this, uh, curveball and apparently he did an interview in 2011 with the guardian, um, where he just admitted that it was all lies. Right, and that's what he did with CNN, too. And he also did, or not CNN, I'm sorry, with uh, 60 Minutes. And he also did one on German television where he talked about the same, told the same story, basically, on German television. So he's going around having all these interviews, telling about how he lied and started his war, and he thinks he's a hero. That's the last one that I um, see on him is in 2011 is when he admitted that. But I guess a little bit of background on this guy was that, you know, he changed his story he had tried to get into Germany before and was denied. So then he changed his story and said that um, basically he had worked on these projects um, and that he was top of his class of chemical engineering at Baghdad University. And he worked with this um, these top people to build these mobile labs. And um, basically the German intelligence listened to him and then granted him asylum so that they could keep getting this information. Right. Then they gave it to U.S. intelligence, and a lot of people in U.S. intelligence were just like, listen, he's described how these things would work, and our people say that there's no way that works. It's just engineering-wise, it's just mm-hmm. not possible. So, you know, I feel like even there were some people even in our intelligence agency that was just like, look, like, we're picking this apart from the ground up. So I definitely agree that this guy did not just come out of nowhere. Right. You know what I mean? This was, right. this was a ploy. And Scott Ritter, I mean, anybody who's my age would remember him being on show after show after show because he was a, he, he came out as a big critic of this whole, um, the whole administration because he says, listen, I was on the inside of all of this stuff on the intelligence, on the weapon. He was a, he was a major weapons inspector over there. And he said the, the Bush administration knew there were no weapons there. But their agenda was not weapons. It wasn't disarmament. It was never about disarmament. It was about regime change. Right, as it always is. And they were just using the whole weapons thing as an excuse. And someone had pointed out in one of these, uh, you know, documentaries I watched where the pictures that Colin Powell took to the United Nations uh, of the trucks that were supposedly transporting these weapons, what was happening was when the inspectors were in there, and Scott Ritter talks about this, when the inspectors were in there, the, they were going to these generals in the Iraqi army and saying, we want you to sign on this dotted line that you swear and affirm that there are no weapons at this facility, blah, 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 blah. And the generals were like, listen, if we go into these bunkers, these whatever these storage areas were, we have no idea what's in there. We're going to take you in there and let you look. But we're not going to sign our name on the line to say what's in there until we get in there and see what's in there. So when they went in there, there was a lot of old junk. They didn't find anything. But they were told to clear out. And this is a communication that uh, Colin Powell took to the UN. It was a, it was a dialogue between him, himself, Colin Powell, and these uh, Iraqis. And he was saying, so did you go in there and clean all of that stuff out of there? Did you make sure everything is out of there? 
And they were saying, yes, that's what we're doing. So they, he, Colin Powell knew that they were moving stuff out of there to clear it all out, to make sure there was nothing hidden, there was no false bottoms, there was no... So he knew the stuff that they were moving was old junk munitions that had been declared by the inspectors that this is all dead stuff, it's not going to harm anybody, whatever. They were taking that to destroy it. So a lot of that stuff that he was showing, he knew it wasn't actual live weapons. But he told people at the UN, oh, look, he, they're moving these weapons around so we can't find them. Yeah, I think the bigger question, um, because first of all, I think that anyone that still believes that we started the Iraq war, um, if they still believe that that was for a just cause, they just haven't had the right information presented to them. Because it's clear now, in today's day and age, with all of the evidence that has come out, that it was absolutely fabricated. And that, well, we all know that Dick Cheney had ties to Halliburton, which ended up getting a lot of oil out of the Middle East after all of our um, poking around in there. So I feel like the connections are pretty clear with all of that, which then leads to my point is I don't know how anybody thinks that 9-11 wasn't a planned attack. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I can understand people then not getting it because clearly all the information we have now wasn't available then, but mm -hmm. still to this day, now that we have all this, I don't know why these people haven't been prosecuted. That's, that is the main thing that I think people should look at. Dick Cheney, Colin Powell, this curveball character, George Bush, any defense secretaries, Rumsfeld, whoever else, mm -hmm. anyone who had a part in pumping up this propaganda to make the American people believe that we needed to invade there after constant, constant, constant evidence to say that there was absolutely no reason to, mm -hmm. those people should all be held accountable. And I don't know what we're doing still. These people are still walking free. And there's, I mean, just think about when, how, how we hunted the Nazis down. Sure. To every last one. You know what I mean? We mm -hmm. never stopped. Years and years later, even to, uh, they had that Netflix documentary I told you about, um, Ivan Terrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was years later that they finally that went like after this guy. 95 years old. And yeah. They took him out in the stretch. And they and went after him. Mm -hmm. Which they should have. Wait, right. No disagreement there. But it's like, mm -hmm. if we were willing to do that, I mean, these people were literally, in my opinion, defectors from our own country that were out for personal interest. Mm -hmm. And we, they should be held accountable. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, right. But, but this is a, even still in today's times, you know, that picture of Ellen and George Bush came out of them at a baseball game sitting next to each other or whatever. And people were like, see, this is a good example. People with different political opinions should be able to, you know, sit next to each other. And that's America. And I was just like, no, fuck you. The man's a war criminal. Mm -hmm. He made up lies and caused thousands of deaths. That's not a difference of opinion. He's, right. a, he's a criminal yeah. and a murderer. Mm -hmm. I mean, the blood is on his hands. I don't know how we can hold people like Charles Manson accountable, but then George Bush walks free. I mean, well, and they they get these state funerals after they die, and pe these big memorial services, and everybody comes out and talks about what a great person they were, and how, you know, and what it is, Juke, is that they 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 convince the American public that it was all with the best of intentions, and it was just we just were misled, we just got bad intel, and people. This is where we go to. People hear a story they want to believe. Most Americans don't want to believe that their government is run by sociopathic people who don't care about murdering people to make profit. They, we don't want to believe that about our government. Yeah, but if you live under a fog like that, you're doomed to repeat the same kind of bullshit. And that's one reason why, with everything that's been going on with Iran, I picked this as a subject because I feel like, you know, I'm 49 years old, and this happened when, you know, I was about to have your brother at the first Gulf War. Then the second Gulf War, it's like the Gulf Wars have consumed a lot of my adult life. And I feel like 
here we are on the brink of trying to talk about a war with Iran. And I'm like, here we go again. It's never ending. And I just feel like a lot of young people don't know the details of the lies that we were sold to get us into the wars that we've been in. And even like you said, like, how do people still believe it? Well, when we were being sold the Iraq wars, did we not know about the coup that we did in Iran in 1953? Yes, we knew about that. So how many times does this story have to get retold before people wake up? Right. But I guess I don't know the answer to that because we still, we're still here telling it today. We have to keep telling it. And maybe one day it will stick. <laughs> but that's about all the time we have today. Um, yeah, maybe next week we will do the 9-11. We haven't done a conspiracy in a while, and people still refer to that as a conspiracy, even though, I, I mean, me personally, I just, I don't know how people see it any other way. Um, but when you say that, you still get people looking at you like you're crazy, like, Right. And I just don't know how you sit and listen to all this information and then, you know, mull it over amongst yourself and look for research and it's like everything backs it up and I don't know how you still look at it like, oh yeah, it was just a coincidence. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. But Well, and just recently, Trump was, I mean, since Trump's been president, the 9-11 families did go to him to try to get documents that had been redacted with the names of Saudi people that were involved you know at this at the governmental level or whatever and when they met with trump he said he was going to make it happen but nothing's happened and they got some documents but they were redacted again and so there's this on and it was only released to the families it was not to be made public so it's kind of like well they've got this name now but if they go out with it they won't get any more information you know what i mean and my thing is why are we covering up I don't understand it, yeah. Why are we covering it up? If it was someone else who attacked us, we would want that information out there. But we're covering it up. 15 years later, we're still covering shit up. 19. 19 19. years later. Just like the JFK assassination. Why are we still covering shit up about that? If it was anyone outside of our government that did it, it would all be an open book Mm, right now. I believe so, too. So we're still protecting people, and that's why conspiracy theorists like us still exist (laughs) (laughs) cue the eye twitch that you can't see but all right guys we will be back next week maybe we will uh do the 9-11 conspiracy um still a lot that can happen between now and then so we'll always see i don't ever want to guarantee a topic because you just never know what's gonna go on between now and then uh especially this is an election year so it could be crazy oh yeah but with that being said this is juke signing off and this is mix signing off